This is fan fiction only. Trouble on Artesia, a Star Trek fan fiction starring members of the USS Artesia, a chapter of Star Trek The Fleet, a Star Trek fan group. Story by Lieutenant Steve Morgenthaler. Narrated and edited by Joe Mignano. An inmate in a San Francisco prison was surprised he had a visitor, and was curious who would visit him after what he had done. Larbert, a scientist who had once used Stephen Morgenthaler's head as an experiment to build a multi-species monster, was led into an isolated cubicle room. A prison guard left the room, the door shifting closed behind him. Sitting at a square metal table was a young man, about 30 years old. He looked expectantly at Larbert and smiled. Good evening, doctor. They say that you're a madman, but I think you're brilliant. Larbert raised an eyebrow out of curiosity. Go on, young man, Larbert quietly retorted. What is it that you need? How did you build it? Build what? The creature, the young man held up a small, thin, rectangular device that had a series of red and green blinking lights. Don't worry, I shut off all communications that lead in and out of this room. I will make it worth your while. Trust me. Lieutenant's Log Ensign Jared Smith has talked me into boarding the holodeck to act out a late scene in Brian O'Neill's mystery novel, Trouble on Kronos, in which a fictional Klingon was convicted of murder in the 22nd century. Meanwhile, the USS Artesia is escorting an O'Neill descendant, Jimmy O'Neill, to Kronos to celebrate the lifting of a 200-plus-year ban on the O'Neill family and Brian O'Neill's novels, despite the intergalactic literary awards Trouble on Kronos received. O'Neill's novels starred Osborne Oates, a 55-year-old man who had a talent for solving mysteries and sported streaked white and black hair who wore a large brown overcoat, a vest, a collared shirt, a pair of blue jeans, black running shoes, and a pipe he rarely smoked. His look was sort of cowboy meets Holmes meets Columbo meets athlete. Lieutenant Stephen Morgenthaler and Ensign Jared Smith entered one of the caves on this holodeck version of Kronos. Morgenthaler, dressed in a mid-22nd century Starfleet uniform, responded to his friend's curious look. Surprised I agreed to be your prisoner? Dude, after our last holodeck adventure? Yeah. Like my Klingon costume? It's cool, but you still have your natural half-denobulant face. <laughs> it's all good, Stevie. Smith, beaming while rubbing his hands together, retorted. You as my prisoner. I think I'm gonna like this. Smith then aggressively grabbed Morgenthaler's left arm and forced him further into the cave system. Morgenthaler grimaced at Smith's hold and gave his friend a we're just acting look. Smith shrugged off his friend's critique and shoved him into a small room. Smith pushed a series of buttons on a nearby control panel, which caused a door to careen closed behind Smith, locking both men inside. On the floor to Morgenthaler's left sat a middle-aged man, sporting an overcoat, jeans, tennis shoes, and an unlit pipe. Thank you for bringing the officer in, Kaplut, said Oates as he stood up. This Vulcan has died tonight right here in this room. Oates pointed to a young Vulcan with a bloodied face and a broken jaw lying on the ground. Further examinations of his wounds show that this Vulcan was murdered after a physical struggle. He was a guest? Yes, Kaplut snarled. 
An unwanted guest. A guest, you say? Morgenthaler's character disagreed. Like you Klingons are ever peaceful. The bickering between Starfleet and Klingons is tiring. Oates concluded. The wounds to his shoulder and abdomen are reminiscent of phase pistol fire from Enterprise members. I knew it was you, Commander, Kaplut snarled. Humans always try to pin things on Klingons. More bickering, Oates interrupted, shaking his head. The markings on his face indicate Klingons. Humans can also break jaws, but a Klingon fingernail was found in his teeth. And you, sir, are missing a nail, are you not? That means nothing, Kaplut yelled. If I broke his face as you claim, that is not proof that I killed this Vulcan. Kaplut pointed at the Starfleet commander. His face pistol did the damage. Yes, indeed. A face pistol did kill the Vulcan, Oates agreed. Analysis of the prints indicate a Klingon fired the pistol, but it was your brother, not you. My brother has been missing for weeks, Kaplut bellowed as Oates fiddled with something in his pocket. He couldn't have... The holodeck scene was interrupted by intense shaking, as if the Artesia had been experiencing another anomaly or wormhole. Suddenly, they were beamed out of the holodeck and onto the bridge of the ship. Strangely, Oates was beamed onto the bridge with them. The entire bridge crew was mysteriously asleep. The USS Artesia was adrift in space, with only emergency lighting, transporters, automatic doors, air, gravity, and the holodecks apparently working. Furthermore, scans determined only Morgenthaler, Smith, and two others were awake. Morgenthaler wondered why they had been beamed out of the holodeck and why so few were spared from being put to sleep. Stranger still was that computer-generated Osborne Oates seemed to be alive and well aboard the bridge. Oates looked around the bridge, astonished at what he was witnessing. Incredible, Oates exclaimed. It appears that the grand experiment of space travel and meeting aliens has succeeded. Oates looked at Morgenthaler. A human... Then he looked at Jared. And, uh, uh, Denobulan, Jared answered. Denobulan? Well, Jared corrected himself. Half Denobulan, half human. Jared took off his Klingon costume to reveal his Starfleet uniform underneath. Morgenthaler did the same with his Enterprise NX-01 costume. Oh, yes, Denobulan. Enterprise had a Denobulan doctor, I think. What year is this? Let's just say, Morgenthaler answered, it's about 200 years after the O'Neill novel that you were created from. How you survive outside the holodeck beats me. You solved some mysteries in O'Neill's novels. It appears that we are involved in some. Yes, Oates agreed. How am I here? Why is everyone asleep? Why is your ship not moving? Why is that man over there dead? The man, dressed in civilian attire, was in a seated position with the right side of his face and neck firmly jammed into monitors at the back of the bridge. This man is Jimmy O'Neill, Morgenthaler immediately recognized. Morgenthaler felt no pulse on Jimmy's neck, confirming his death. None of us appear to be the culprit, Oates concluded, distracting Morgenthaler and Smith from the corpse. Oates took a panoramic view of the bridge and pointed out all those who were asleep. Admiral Morgenthaler, Helmsman Saltzman, Captain Powers, and three others on the bridge. Anyone here or elsewhere on the ship 
could have done this and covered their tracks by putting themselves to sleep. Oates stopped himself in mid-thought and took a closer look at the left side of O'Neill's neck. What are these stitches doing here? He said he cut himself with a knife, Morgenthaler recalled. He told me about it last night. What was he doing? Cutting potatoes. Smith belly laughed. Sure it wasn't you, Stevie, you klutz? Oates rubbed his chin in deep thought while he took notes in a small spiral notebook while whispering out loud. Neck stitches, potatoes, klutz. Morgenthaler glared at Oates. What are you saying, detective? Implying that I had something to do with O'Neill's death? I wasn't even here. Neither was I, Oates admitted. But wasn't your son in a fight with a Klingon once? Didn't that young Klingon threaten your son? That was a long time ago, Morgenthaler yelled. They were just kids, and how do you know any of this? I am computer-generated, Oates calmly stated. I have records of a holodeck program, the one in which your friend Jared put into a different simulation. The history of you and your son. You could have an internal grudge against Klingons and not want the ban lifted. Morgenthaler's glare suddenly softened at Oates' final sentence. Or maybe not. It's just a theory, Lieutenant. Smith slipped Morgenthaler a card that read, Only the novel is programmed in, nothing else. No joke. Morgenthaler slipped the note into his pocket. Then, Oates picked up a sharp kitchen knife that was lying on the floor next to O'Neill's feet. What is this? Oates asked. The knife's blade had remnants of potato skins and an engraving that read, To the best of friends, Mr. Stephen Morgenthaler. This could be something, Oates theorized as he noted this finding. Or it could be someone trying to frame the lieutenant. Morgenthaler rolled his eyes at Oates. Maybe even Smith. We should check the kitchens. At that, the three of them left the bridge. A soft chime rang near the sliding door that separated his quarters from the adjacent hallway. Enter, Morgenthaler said softly. Clarf, a rather muscular Klingon who had recently made some peace with Morgenthaler some thirteen years after an elementary school skirmish between Morgenthaler's son Irvin and Clarf's son Beltrack, entered. Morgenthaler stood up, hand instinctively on his phaser, before relaxing his hand to nervously shake Clarf's hand. So, you haven't been put to sleep, Clarf? Morgenthaler asked. No, Clarf answered. I was in one of your holodecks, in a Klingon fighting ritual. It was great for a warrior. Clarf gave Morgenthaler a half-smile, half-snarl. Is this the Klingon you have had arguments with, Lieutenant? asked Oates. Who is this? Clarf aggressively asked. You look like one of those idiot earthlings who like to play dress-up from human books. Oates held out his hand. Hello, I am Osborne Oates. Oats? Clarf questioned. You mean from the stupid books that my world is now accepting? What a joke. Humans thinking Klingons are murderers. We are warriors. Those books and that family should still be banned. Oats once again took notes while whispering. Stupid books. Joke. Warriors. Books and family should still be banned. Clarf gave Morgenthaler a curious look. 
What is he doing? Jimmy O'Neill is dead, Morgenthaler admitted. He thinks he is investigating O'Neill's death, like he does in Brian O'Neill's mysteries. This man is from a holodeck program and is somehow able to live among us here. In case anyone was wondering, Smith awkwardly interrupted as he entered Morgenthaler's quarters. I finished scanning the kitchens. Everything's clean. Clarf snarled menacingly at Oates. And you think that I had something to do with his death? Klingons are warriors, not murderers. This is insulting. Why are you here, if I may ask? Calmly questioned Oates. Morgenthaler and I have made peace after years of hatred and misunderstanding, Clarf answered. Starfleet and Klingon Command think that having the two of us at the ceremony would show comparison to the ban being lifted. And you think it should not be lifted? Oates asked. Did you not understand me? Clarf bellowed. No, it should not be lifted. The book is insulting to all Klingons. Oates continued writing notes in his notebook. Suddenly, Clarf slapped the notebook onto the floor. You idiot! I had nothing to do with O'Neill's death. Go back to the megabytes you came from. Clarf then addressed Morgenthaler. I will be in my quarters if you need me. Clarf stormed out of sight. It appeared that circumstantial evidence and Clarf's hatred for Brian O'Neill's novels was pointing to the possibility of Clarf being Jimmy O'Neill's killer. In addition, Clarf had a history of disdain toward Morgenthaler and his son Irvin, though the Morgenthalers and Clarf's family had made some peace among themselves. Morgenthaler's initial nervous reaction to Clarf entering his quarters displayed some evidence towards some lingering resentment between Morgenthaler and Clarf, but none of this was enough to confirm who or what killed Jimmy O'Neill. Morgenthaler's kitchen knife found near O'Neill's feet. The stitches in O'Neill's neck and Morgenthaler being a klutz around kitchen utensils were not enough evidence to implicate Morgenthaler, Smith, or anyone else. Yet, more mysteries were involved. What caused the USS Artesia to shake so vigorously before the discovery of O'Neill's dead body? What put Artesia's crew to sleep? Why were only emergency lighting, doors, elevators, and transporters among the very few things that worked aboard the ship? Was any of this connected or purely coincidental? All investigating these mysteries hoped something would come to light and that they were not personally found guilty of any of this. With no livable planets close enough to beam to and all shuttlecraft on board not working, Morgenthaler, the highest-ranking person who was actually awake, called all to the bridge. There, all agreed with Morgenthaler that they should, together, examine O'Neill's body and wounds further to see if they could find any other evidence of what happened. The first look was at the stitches on O'Neill's neck, which appeared to be stitched well. Smith took gloved hands to forcefully pull O'Neill's head and neck out of the monitors, forcing pieces of the monitors to fly onto the floor. What was revealed on the right side of O'Neill's neck were not stitches, but large staples with skin wrinkled, bunched up, and bubbled around the staples. Well, Smith mused, this is no knife accident. Yeah, Morgenthaler answered, recalling back to when a mad scientist used Morgenthaler's head to build a multi-species being. This guy looks like he was put together. Put together? Clarf curiously asked. Yes. This is not Jimmy O'Neill, Morgenthaler responded as a drop of green blood fell harmlessly from beneath a staple to the floor. 
So, Morgenthaler began to theorize a few minutes later. What if something was let out into the air that put the crew to sleep? I thought of that, Smith answered, nodding his head toward Oates. If that were the case, wouldn't we be put to sleep as well? Oates was strangely quiet, staring at his notebook. What if the effects wane over time? Clarf theorized as he took a bite of an earthling hot dog. Clarf grimaced and bellowed, How do you humans eat this filth? Clarf suddenly held his stomach and grimaced in pain. Arr! Our food is that bad, Clarf? Morgenthaler teased. I suddenly feel sick, in pain. Clarf fell to the floor and began to snore. That's it, Morgenthaler yelled. Someone must have put something in our food replicators and must have done so recently. But who and why? Suddenly, the staples holding the right side of O'Neill's neck together came apart, and then the skin below where the staples had just been peeled downward. This revealed a metallic neck with green liquid that was about the correct thickness to masquerade as Vulcan blood, oozing out of the bolts and seams in the middle. Morgenthaler picked up the knife, cut through the rest of the neck's skin, and peeled off the entire head of the being. What was revealed was an android head and neck that was attached to a human body. Morgenthaler and Smith stared at each other in shock and disbelief. They all turned to get Oates' opinion, only to find that Oates was no longer there. On Morgenthaler's hunch, he and Smith entered the holodeck program they had been in earlier in the day. They walked through the same caves and into the same room they had been in earlier. There they found Osborne Oates, gagged and tied to a pillar on the east side of the room. Upon untying Oates, the detective gleefully stated, Ah, a half-denobulan, and a human. Thank you for releasing me. You're never getting out of here, commanded a man who looked exactly like Oates as he entered the room. This Oates threw a rope to Smith. Tie the lieutenant and Oates to that pillar, Ensign. My family will never make peace with those Klingons. Clarf is right. Our books should not be read by those animals. Well, tie them up. Belay that order, Ensign, commanded an authoritative voice as he entered the room. There stood Admiral Phil Morgenthaler, his phaser pointing at the person imitating Oates. Put your phaser down. The Oates imitator did just that as the Admiral placed binding cuffs on him. How did you do it? I programmed sleeping agents into the replicators. Non-toxic, but they do cause some stomach pain. I built someone who looks like Jimmy O'Neill from leftover android parts that I stole. The only blood I could find was Vulcan. I thought the human sleeping agent would last longer. Didn't you realize that we would have found that an android head was not Jimmy O'Neill? Lieutenant Morgenthaler asked. Didn't think about that, the imitator Oates said quietly. Artesia is running again, the Admiral stated. We should have the damaged monitors repaired in a couple of hours. I assume you waited for us to be asleep before abruptly stopping the ship, which made your creation crash into our monitors. Yes, the imitator conceded, while he took out a rectangular device that sported green and red blinking lights. This device did the trick. Smith then tossed the device to the Admiral and slowly peeled a mask off of the man's face, revealing the real Jimmy O'Neill. And I would have gotten away with it, too. If it wasn't for us meddling officers, Morgenthaler said, winking at Smith. 
Three days later, Morgenthaler and Klarf stood with politicians from Starfleet and Klingon Command as the ceremony lifting the ban of the O'Neill novels and family concluded. In turn, Starfleet accepted Trouble on Artesia, a novel written by popular Kronos author Wastag Greymon. After the ceremony, Morgenthaler asked Greymon what his book was about. Murder on Earth, Greymon exclaimed. Who's the killer? Not Klingon. Touché, Morgenthaler answered as he and the Klingon shared a laugh. From a short distance away, Clarf reluctantly smiled. A few weeks later, Larbird saw a cuffed Jimmy O'Neill escorted by his cell. Was it worth my while? Larbird asked, to which O'Neill smirked. Suddenly, both of them dematerialized. They are aboard, Captain, a Vulcan announced. Excellent, Commander, the Captain responded. Bring Dr. Larbird here and set course for Earth. Hail the Vulcan Empire! This Star Trek fan audio production contains characters that are real people within the Star Trek The Fleet fan club and is intended for entertainment only. Star Trek and all characters within the Star Trek franchise are the property of Paramount and no infringement is intended. For more information about the Fleet Fan Club, visit StarTrekTheFleet.com.